Over the course of this spring and early summer, we've talked about the surprises of God. God is a surpriser. Oh, there's lots of predictability. There's been lots of prophecy. But God surprises us people time and time again. His arrival, though it had been predicted for centuries, was a surprise in how it happened and where it happened and what happened. His crucifixion and death was a total surprise, even though he had told his disciples three times on three separate occasions that he was going to be dying. His resurrection caught them all by surprise, even though he told them that would happen as well. They wondered who had stolen his body. Then he told them to wait in Jerusalem, and there'd be another surprise. And sure enough, Pentecost came. And God surprised the followers of Jesus with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They went from being afraid, terrified, in hiding, concerned about their own lives, to being open and public, demonstrating the grace of Jesus Christ who was alive and well. That's what the Holy Spirit does. There's one more surprise coming. And you can maybe make it two, but we'll just deal with one. He's coming again. And we're beginning a series this Sunday that will take us through the rest of the summer on the coming again of Jesus so we can become familiar and not be quite so surprised. We can be ready and not unprepared. We can look forward to some specifics and not just have a general sense of, well, I know he said he's coming back. There's more to be said than that. But let me begin with this. When Jesus was in and around Jerusalem, which was not very often in his life, he could usually be found at the temple, located at the crest of Mount Moriah. It was and is one of the most sacred places in all of Israel. It was on Mount Moriah that Abraham brought his only son Isaac to be sacrificed, as God had instructed him. And at the point of sacrifice, God stopped him and provided a ram to be sacrificed instead, a ram caught in a thicket. That had never happened to a ram before. That has never happened to a ram again. Rams don't get stuck in thickets. God was working. Abraham had passed the test of obedience to God. That story is found in Genesis 22. But this event was also predicting what God would do with his only begotten son one day in the future. It's what's called typological prophecy. It's a type of something that happened which gets fulfilled later on. Jesus becomes known as the Lamb of God given by God in order to save people from their sins once and for all. That happened on Mount Moriah. It was on Mount Moriah that God had Solomon build the temple as a permanent place for his dwelling. The account of the building of the temple is found in 1 Kings 6. It was completed in 960 B.C. Up until then, God had dwelt in a tabernacle that had moved with the people as they traveled in the wilderness and finally in the land of promise, the land of Israel. The temple Solomon built was destroyed in 586 B.C. It was on Mount Moriah that God had the people rebuild the temple in 516 B.C. 
The story of the rebuilding can be found in the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah. It was on Mount Moriah that Herod the Great in 19 BC did major renovations, including a massive expansion of the temple property to 35 and a half acres, which is today known as Temple Mount. The second temple was near the center of the expansion, and that's where Jesus and his disciples had been on the day we will read about in the scripture this morning in just a moment. That second temple was completely destroyed by the Roman army under the command of Titus in 70 A.D. It was on Mount Moriah that the Caliph Abd al-Malik built the Dome of the Rock as a shrine for Muslims. Some Islamic scholars state that Muhammad was taken to the rock by the angel Gabriel in what is called the night journey in order that Muhammad could pray with Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. You'll find that in Quran 17. Islamic scholars also state that the rock is the spot from which Muhammad himself ascended to heaven. The Dome of the Rock was completed in 691 A.D. The Crusaders captured Jerusalem and the Dome of the Rock in 1099 and occupied its space as the Crusader Church until it was recaptured by the Muslims in 1187. The dome was resurfaced in 1545 by Suleiman the Magnificent. Don't you love that name? I've often thought Craig the Magnificent kind of rang off my tongue, but no one's ever bought into that, especially my wife. Thank you, Carolyn. The outer tiles of the Dome of the Rock were completed and completely replaced in 1964, and the Golden Dome was replaced in 1994. The top of Mount Moriah can be seen inside the Dome of the Rock. We were fortunate to be able to be there early on. Non-Muslims are no longer allowed inside the Dome of the Rock and only scantily allowed on Temple Mount itself, and certainly not in the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is also on Temple Mosque. Here's a recap. Abram's obedience, 2050 B.C., Solomon's Temple, 960 B.C., Temple rebuilt, 516 B.C., Temple remodeled 19 B.C., Temple destroyed 70 A.D., the Dome of the Rock 691 A.D. Here's a summary so we can get in perspective why it's so difficult to deal with issues on what is called for the Jews Temple Mount or the Dome of the Rock for Muslims. Mount Moriah was home to a Jewish temple for a total of 960 years. Mount Moriah has been the home of the Dome of the Rock for 1,240 years. It is an incredibly sacred space to a significant number of people for a variety of reasons. You've seen the location. You've seen some of the images as best as you can see them with the small projector we use. We pray God will help us get a big back, good one again soon so that you can see it fully on the whole wall here. But go back with me to the days of Jesus, the temple that's been renovated by Herod. This is the view that Jesus and his disciples were looking at from the Mount of Olives. Listen to what's written in Matthew 24. Just three verses this morning. Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his disciples. 
They came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see these things, he asked? I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The end of the reading. God's word is holy. It is true. Hallelujah. I bring you two points from this text and the beginning of this series. Here's what was read. Jesus left the temple and was walking away. In a thorough reading of Matthew's gospel, you'll discover that this was the last time Jesus was at the temple. He actually really did leave the temple. That was it. He never came back to it. At first glance, that may not be significant, but let's plumb just a little deeper to see how important that word is. Three days after this conversation, Jesus was arrested, tried, and executed. And in Matthew 27, 50 to 51, we read from the same gospel, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. At that moment, God left the temple. God left it. God was no longer there. The curtain that had entrapped him set him free because it was torn. Jesus, his son, had left it three days earlier. When Jesus, when God leaves, nothing holds together. Nothing. The disciples over the next three decades wondered undoubtedly about Jesus' words. But then Rome sent Titus, and in 70 AD completely destroyed the temple on Mount Moriah. The disciples wondered no more. What Jesus had declared to them as he sat on the Mount of Olives came true. There wasn't one stone left on another. There are no remaining stones that can be identified as part of the temple building. All that remains are the stones on the temple mount and the rampart that goes around the 35 and a half acres of Temple Mount. Today, only the new construction, 691 AD, called the Dome of the Rock, occupies the place where God had, had dwelt at one time and the temple built originally by King Solomon. When God leaves a place, it comes apart. There's nothing left. What was God up to? God was relocating. God was relocating. How many of you have relocated? Some of you have been stuck in the same place the whole time. <laughs> Most all of us, we, we, I don't know how many times we've relocated. And God was in the business of relocating here. He left a stone building to enter a human being. God fully comes to and into the people by this act of Jesus dying on the cross. It's not that God was tired of his home on earth, the temple. It's that God had been unable to live in the lives of people because sin kept him out of their lives. He wants to dwell with us personally. 
He wants a relationship with us. I can't walk because the microphone's here. Uh. When God created Adam and Eve, it was that kind of relationship. They knew where each other was all the time. They were able to talk freely with one another. They had a relationship. Sin broke it. And sin is willfulness. Sin is disobedience. Sin is, all right, God, I think I've got a better way than you. Think about that statement. Isn't that crazy? I have a better way than God. But how many of us have done that? All of us. We do. God sent Jesus to pay for the sin of our life so that the curtain of sin that keeps him out would be torn like the curtain in the temple was torn to let him out so he could come and dwell in us. And his desire is to do that with all people, not just me and you, not just us sitting in church today, but with all people all over the world. That's God's heart. That's what he longs for more than anything in all the world. Once sin was overcome and as a result death, God was able to be where he always wanted, personally. Earlier when Jesus was on trial, two witnesses reported the following. Referring to Jesus, they said, Matthew 26, 61, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. At that time, everybody thought that was nonsense because they only saw his words to mean the temple on Mount Moriah. But Jesus meant the temple that he created in us. He was going to take care of business on the cross. And in the three days between his death and resurrection, he took care of business on earth, took care of business in hell, took care of business in the universe. And so he did rebuild it. And the disciples were the first to believe. And these many centuries later, there are millions who have come to believe and have received the Spirit of God in them because that's what God longs for with us. That was the first point. Jesus left the temple. My second point, Jesus is coming back. The question Jesus' disciples asked him was straightforward. Tell us when this will happen. What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? The remainder of this entire preaching series will be Jesus' answers to that question. Listen to what John writes in his gospel. Speaking with his disciples, Jesus said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus is coming back, John 14, 3. Listen to what Dr. Luke wrote about that moment when Jesus ascended to heaven in his gospel. Excuse me, in the book of Acts that shortly followed his gospel. The disciples were looking intently up into the sky as he, Jesus, was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. For today, let it be enough to say, God relocated his dwelling place so that he could live inside of us. Jesus is coming back so that when we die, we can be relocated to live with him. It is that simple. 
It is that profound. I conclude this message with some really good, practical, life-changing news. Jesus left the temple on Mount Moriah so that he could dwell in you and me. Question. Have you let him dwell in you? Have you let him enter your life? It's what God wants And I can tell you from my perspective, because he has entered my life, there's nothing better. I tried a lot of things in my 18 years without Christ. Nothing was better. Nothing even came close to what happened when Jesus became real to me. And I have found that in countless other people over the years in serving churches from the West Coast to the East, from the North to the Midwest. If you want God in your life, I invite you to quietly pray this prayer with me as I lead us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I believe you want to live in my life. Today I surrender my life to you. I welcome you in. I believe you will come into me and make yourself at home. I believe that you forgive my sin all of it. I believe you will help me live for you. Thank you for coming into my life. Amen. For those of you who have prayed a prayer like that sometime in your life, but that was a long time ago, and you've wandered, here's another prayer. Consider this. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me for not giving you access to every part of me. Everything you've touched has been made new and good. I don't know why I haven't let you have all of me. I repent of this. I surrender anew to you this day. I ask you once again to be Lord of all of me. Thank you for a fresh start. Amen. That's how you let him enter your life. That's how you let him be at home in your life. I find it to be daily prayers for me. Daily prayers, because every day is a new day. A new day to either say yes to God or no to God. A new day to say, I will follow Jesus today or I won't follow Jesus today. Those are the choices that we have. We need his help to do that, which is why prayer is so crucial in our lives, so that we can connect with him. Today we have cell phones. Have you seen a lot of people whose necks are stuck in this position? (laughs) Mine gets there too. But I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that's the position we get into. We don't even have to do that. We don't have to bow our heads. We don't have to fold our hands. We don't have to close our eyes. We can be talking to God just like I'm talking with you now. More importantly, we can listen to God and say, God, my ears are open. What are you trying to say to me? He'll put something in your mind. He'll let you see something. I have never seen that before. I've been on this road a thousand times. He will begin to expand your awareness of life and yourself and what's around you. It's an 
active thing for us to be doing, to be praying to God. Because the reality is, Jesus came to set us free. Can you still hear me? He came to set us free. But he also came to be our friend. Not just our Savior, not just our Lord, but to be our companion in life. Fellowship is about companionship. And it gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us so that we can be free. Free to live for him. Free from the things that destroy us, that hurt us, or that in us hurt other people. That's why Jesus came. That's what he wants to do, to enter our life and be at home in us. And I have one more bit of good news. Jesus does not leave us alone. He doesn't hassle us. He doesn't hustle us. He doesn't nag us. But he doesn't leave us isolated. Listen to him. I will ask the Father. He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he lives in you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. John 14, 16 to 20. And lest we fear that God will relocate again out of us to somewhere else, Jesus had made promises. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Hebrews 13.5 I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28.20 And one more statement before I pray. From 2 Timothy 2 Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. There is so much good news about Jesus for us. Do you believe him? He's coming back. May we all be ready. Let us pray. Holy Father, help us to see what you are doing. Help us to let you do what you want in us. Give us a vision not only of Jesus' return, but of Jesus dwelling in us and living through us for others. Remind us, Lord, that we are meant to live grace-filled, winsome lives, lives that attract people to you because we become like your Son, Jesus himself. In his name I pray. Amen.